Turn in God's Word this morning to Isaiah chapter 29. Isaiah 29. And we read this in connection with Lord's Day 44, which talks about the Tenth Commandment and also deals with obedience from the heart. In Isaiah chapter 29, Isaiah is writing to the people of, actually speaking to the people of Judah. And the people of Judah during his lifetime were not obeying and were not worshiping from the heart. Yes, they went to the temple, worshiped outwardly, but Isaiah addresses the heart issue in this chapter. It also speaks of God's powerful work that is to come in the hearts of his people. Ariel here refers to Jerusalem in the first verse. It's another name for it. This is God's word. Woe to Ariel, to Ariel, the city where David dwelt. Add ye year to year, let them kill sacrifices. Yet I will distress Ariel, and there shall be heaviness and sorrow, and it shall be unto me as Ariel. And I will camp against thee round about, and will lay siege against thee with a mount, and I will raise forts against thee. And thou shalt be brought down, and shalt speak out of the ground, and thy speech shall be low out of the dust. And thy voice shall be as of one that hath a familiar spirit out of the ground, and thy speech shall whisper out of the dust. Moreover, the multitude of thy strangers shall be like small dust, and the multitude of the terrible ones shall be as chaff that passeth away, yea, it shall be at an instant suddenly." Thou shalt be visited of the Lord of hosts with thunder and with earthquake and great noise, with storm and tempest and the flame of devouring fire. And the multitude of all the nations that fight against Ariel, even all that fight against her and her munition, and that distress her shall be as a dream of a night vision. It shall, be, it shall even be as when an hungry man dreameth, and behold, he eateth, but he awaketh and his soul is empty. Or as when a thirsty man dreameth, and behold, he drinketh, but he awaketh, and behold, he is faint, and his soul hath appetite. So shall the multitude of all the nations be that fight against Mount Zion. Stay yourselves and wonder, cry ye out and cry. They are drunken, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep. And hath closed your eyes. The prophets and your rulers, the seers, hath he covered. And the vision of all has become unto you as the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one that is learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I cannot, for it is sealed. And the book is delivered to him that is not learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I am not learned. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord, 
and their works are in the dark. And they say, who seeth us and who knoweth us? Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. Or shall the work say of him that made it, he made me not? Or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, he had no understanding? It is not yet a very little while, and Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be esteemed as a forest. And in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. For the terrible one is brought to naught, and the scorner is consumed. And all that watch for iniquity are cut off, that make a man an offender for a word, and lay a snare for him that reproveth in the gate, and turn aside the just for a thing of naught. Therefore thus saith the Lord, who redeemed Abraham, concerning the house of Jacob, Jacob shall not now be ashamed, neither shall his face now wax pale. For when he seeth his children, the work of mine hands, in the midst of him, they shall sanctify my name and sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and shall fear the God of Israel. They also that erred in spirit shall come to understanding and they that murmured shall learn doctrine. So far do we read God's holy word. May he bless the reading of his word to our hearts. On the basis of that passage and others, we have the instruction in Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day 44. Lord's Day 44. What doth the Tenth Commandment require of us? That even the smallest inclination or thought contrary to any of God's commandments never rise in our hearts, but that at all times we hate all sin with our whole heart and delight in all righteousness. But can those who are converted to God perfectly keep these commandments? No, but even the holiest men, while in this life, have only a small beginning of this obedience. Yet so that with a sincere resolution they begin to live not only according to some, but all the commandments of God. Why will God then have the Ten Commandments so strictly preached, since no man in this life can keep them? First, that all our lifetime we may learn more and more to know our sinful nature, and thus become the more earnest in seeking the remission of sin and righteousness in Christ, Likewise, that we constantly endeavor and pray to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, that we may become more and more conformable to the image of God till we arrive at the perfection proposed to us in a life to come. With the Tenth Commandment, God demands that we Always obey him in the heart. Question and answer 113 says, What doth the 10th commandment require of us? 
that even the smallest inclination or thought contrary to any of God's commandments never rise in our hearts. That at all times we hate all sin with our whole heart and delight in all righteousness. The tenth commandment forbids coveting, which is an activity of the heart. So when the tenth commandment forbids coveting that activity of the heart, what it's showing is that God demands inward obedience. In fact, we must hate all sin and delight in all righteousness. What a command that is when you think of it. Hate all sin, delight in all righteousness, always. As we consider the 10th commandment today, we will see God's great salvation. And we will be led to praise Him. That's what we're here to do. See, God gives to us a small beginning of new obedience. Now, it, it is small, but it's, it's pervasive. By nature, I and you, we, we love sin. And we hate righteousness. And we do not want to worship. But God works in us so that we do hate sin and delight in righteousness and want to worship today. So we're going to see God's greatness today. We're going to see how he even works this obedience in us through the word that's strictly preached. And may we be led to praise the Lord. Worship him today. Let's consider the text under the theme, commanded to obey in the heart. Commanded to obey in the heart. First, the command. Second, the small beginning. And third, the strict preaching. Commanded to obey in the heart. We first look at that commandment. The tenth commandment shows that we must obey God inwardly in the heart. Now the tenth commandment, as you know, you hear every Sunday, it forbids coveting, first of all. Coveting is a desire for something. Now, not all coveting is against God's law. For instance, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31 says that we must covet earnestly the best gifts. That means we must desire spiritual gifts with which we might serve the neighbor for the glory of God. It's not wrong either to desire necessary physical gifts like food and water. God uses, though, God's 10th commandment doesn't forbid all desires. But what it forbids is that we desire something that he has clearly been pleased not to give us, but our neighbor. So in explaining what we may not covet or desire, in Exodus chapter 20, God speaks of things that clearly belong to the neighbor. So in Exodus 20, he, he says we may not covet the neighbor's spouse, the neighbor's house, or the neighbor's possessions. Those things are things that God has clearly been pleased to give to the neighbor and not to us. So we may not covet those things. We may not look at someone else's truck or their 
house or their new Xbox or whatever it may be and say, I wish that was mine. That's unlawful coveting. Unlawful coveting is the opposite of being content. Hebrews 13 verse 5 shows us that. It says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. To be content is to be satisfied with what God has given to us. Contentment is really the positive demand in the 10th commandment. And contentment is an activity that flows out of faith. It flows out of a trust in God, a trust that he knows best how to distribute gifts. He's all wise. Now this unlawful coveting of which we've spoken of, unlawful coveting is a serious sin. It, it is essentially, essentially idolatry. Rebellion against God and hatred of the neighbor. Coveting is, is idolatry. When you covet, desire what God has been pleased to give someone else, you're only thinking about yourself. And as you kids even know, that's idolatry. And when you covet something, you're putting that thing above service to God. That thing is all important to you. It's idolatry. Coveting is also essentially rebellion against God. Think about what happens when you covet what God has given to the neighbor. You're basically saying in your heart, God, you really don't know best how to distribute gifts. You should have given that to me. That should be mine. You're really saying I should be God because I know better how to distribute. Coveting is also hating the neighbor in your heart. When you desire the things that others have, you are only thinking about yourself and not how to serve the neighbor. But also you're really, you're not only, you're seeking the neighbor's loss. When you covet what they have, you're seeking their loss, their hurt. Now notice that coveting is a desire. It's important as we go through the rest of the sermon. Coveting is a desire. All the other commandments of God forbid an outward activity. Now the other commandments also forbid an inward activity. We know that. But on the surface, the first nine commandments forbid an outward activity. So someone might read the first nine commandments and they might think that the commandments are speaking only of outward activities. So I must not physically bow to idols. I must not physically steal, physically commit adultery, physically kill someone. Don't do that. Now, while all the other commandments, the first nine, forbid an outward activity on the surface, the tenth commandment comes right out and clearly forbids an inward activity. Coveting is 100% a matter of the heart. It's a desire within. It's a matter of the heart. It might lead to wrong outward activity like stealing, like even murder, but it's a matter of the heart. 
The 10th commandment then shows that we must obey God in our hearts. God's law is not all about outward obedience as some have thought in history and even we sometimes can wrongly think. The Jews in Isaiah's day, they thought like that. They acted like God only demanded outward obedience. So in Isaiah 29, verse 13, we read, Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. So in Isaiah's day, the Jews, they spoke piously about God. They spoke words of worship sang even at the temple, brought sacrifices according to the ceremonial law. Isaiah 1 shows that they were doing those things. Now some of the Jews thought, if I worship with my mouth and bring these sacrifices faithfully, consistently, I have kept the law. God addresses that thinking through his prophet Isaiah in verse 13 by saying that the people removed their heart far from me. So you're doing these things, but you've removed your heart far from me. Your words and actions, Jews, mean nothing if you are not doing this and worshiping from your heart and love for God. In verse 24, God even says the people were erring in spirit in within. Now that's not, that's not anything that's just in this passage. This idea of simple outward obedience is talked about throughout Scripture. So the Pharisees of Jesus' day, same ideas. For Matthew 15, verses 7 through 9, we, we learn that, that Jesus scolds the Pharisees for this, and he even quotes Isaiah 29, in doing so, I, Matthew 15, 7 through 9, Jesus says to the scribes and Pharisees, he says, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So the scribes and Pharisees focused on outward obedience, especially on outward obedience to the rituals that they had set up. They did not see or emphasize to the people that one must obey God inwardly. One must worship Him in the heart. Didn't talk about that. That thinking is really not so far away from us when you think about how we sometimes think. We might easily think sometimes, I don't bow physically to an idol. I have not physically killed someone. I have not done drugs. I have not committed physical adultery. I haven't done this. I haven't done that. I'm doing pretty good. By nature, we're proud, and we want to think of ourselves as doing pretty well. And if we look at the law as something that's just to be obeyed outwardly, we get a lot prettier picture of ourselves. That's what the Jews did. That's what we can do, too. 
But the 10th commandment shows so plainly, one must obey God in the heart. Coveting is an inward act of disobedience to God. So God is saying, do not disobey me in your heart. Obey me in your heart. In Romans chapter 7, it's a very interesting passage. Romans 7, verse 7b. There Paul says that the 10th commandment, the 10th commandment showed him that God's law addresses the heart. He says in Romans 7, verse 7b, I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. So Paul was a, was a Pharisee. He grew up as a Pharisee, and he, he thought that one simply had to obey the law outwardly. But then he saw the 10th commandment. And he says he knows now that lust is a sin because of the 10th commandment. From the 10th commandment, he learned. He learned that we must not sin, but must be devoted to God in our hearts. And that's that truth that Paul makes plain there in Romans 7. That's why... The catechism says what it does in question and answer 113. Listen close. Question 113 says, what doth the 10th commandment require of us? And one would think that then the catechism in its answer would talk all about coveting, all the different ways one might covet. But it doesn't do that. Answer 113 instead goes deeper and speaks of what we are to do in our hearts The answer to that question about the 10th commandment is, it requires this, even the smallest inclination or thought contrary to any of God's commandments never rise in our hearts, that at all times we hate all sin with our whole heart and delight in all righteousness. So the 10th commandment is very important, very needful for us to hear about. And it requires two things that we're going to look at closely. We just read about it, but two things the 10th commandment requires of us. This is what God says we must do in our hearts. We must first hate all sin. Hate all sin. Sin is any thought, word, action that goes, that's not in agreement with God's law. That's sin. And hatred is... To want to destroy that. It's to loathe sin, despise it, you want to kill it. And God demands that we hate all sin with our whole heart. That's implied in Isaiah 29, verse 20, the passage we read. I'll look at that again. Isaiah 29, verse 20 says, For the terrible one is brought to naught, and the scorner is consumed, And all that watch for iniquity are cut off. Someone who watches for iniquity, that word in verse 20, means that they have their eyes on it. They want to commit it. They want to do this or that, even though it's wrong. They want to do it. Well, the verse says that those who watch for iniquity are are cut off. Those who are not obeying God in the heart and continue in that way, are cut off. It means they're destroyed. The implication there is this. You and I must hate sin with our whole heart. 
But now think of that. Do I hate all sins with my whole heart? What about the sin that my sinful nature especially likes? What about a little disobedience to the teacher that gets some laughs from the other kids? What about a lie that gets me out of trouble? What about the movie or show or internet site that leads one to lust? What about drinking too much? And you think of the sin with which your sinful nature especially struggles. Do I hate that with my whole heart? Or do I laugh at sin sometimes? Our denomination is talking a lot right now about sexual abuse and for good reason. And we're horrified by it for good reason. But are we also horrified by shows, by movies of the world that take the name of the Lord in vain, that show fornication, even glorify it as something fun and exciting? Are we horrified by that? Are we horrified by a little work on Sunday? A little paperwork here little homework here. Are we horrified by that? Two. That's God's demand. Hate all sins. From the gross, gross public sin to the little sin. When that temptation comes, we are to hate it, to want to kill it. Say, no, I want nothing to do with it. God hates all sin all the time, and so that's what he demands men do. We must hate sin and delight in all righteousness always. That's the positive. Hate sin, delight in all righteousness. Answer 113. What is righteousness? Righteousness is that which is in agreement with God and his commandments. God is righteous. He made a standard, a law that stands in agreement with who he is. Righteousness is that which is in agreement then with God and his law. To delight in something is to rejoice in it, to love it. We must delight in all righteousness. We must delight in God, the righteous one. Isaiah speaks of that in chapter 29, verse 19. He says, The meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Well, how does one rejoice in God? One rejoices in God by rejoicing in obedience to His commandments. Delighting in His commandments. Meaning that we want to obey them. We love to obey them. So, we are not to avoid wrong shows, wrong movies, drinking too much, simply because of the consequences. We are to do it 
in delight for God, love for Him, rejoicing to do it, wanting to do it. And outward obedience, true outward obedience will flow out of that rejoicing in the heart. And that demand to delight in all righteousness, the demand we read in answer 113, that's really the demand of the law when you think about it. What's the first and great commandment? Love God. One loves God when he delights in him and in obedience to his commandments. The demand then of God's law is that in everything you do, think of this, in everything I do all the time at work, at play, when I'm eating, when I'm drinking, everything I do all the time, I obey God with delight. What a command that is. So that brings us to the, the second point. We who are converted by Jesus Christ have only a small beginning of obedience to this command. Only a small beginning of obedience. We do not hate sin and delight in all righteousness perfectly as God demands. Question and answer 114 says, can those who are converted to God perfectly keep these commandments? No, but even the holiest men while in this life have only a small beginning of this obedience. As question 114 says, we are converted. It's a wonderful thing, conversion. God converts his elect people. By nature, we're dead in sin. And so instead of hating sin and delighting in righteousness, we by nature actually love sin and hate righteousness. God's work of conversion in his people is this. God changes their hearts so that they do hate sin and delight in righteousness. That's, that's amazing power. God first regenerates his elect people, meaning he implants spiritual life in those who are dead by nature. And then he converts them. And that simply means turns them from sin into him. It's amazing. He regenerates and he converts. And the result of that is his people actively turn to him in their life. Turn from sin into him. The converted actively trust in Jesus for salvation and in thankfulness for, for him, they, they say no to sin and yes to God and delight in him. Isaiah 29 speaks of God's work of converting his people using picturesque language. And we're going to look at that so we see how good God is. So we're led to praise him and worship him this morning. God is speaking to the Jews here again. He's speaking through Isaiah to the Jews, many of whom were delighting in sin and walking in that way. Isaiah, though, points to God's future conversion of his people in verses 18 and 19. So either pay close attention or, or go there right now. Isaiah 29, verse 18. God says there, And in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. 
So that verse is saying God will open the deaf ears of his people so that they're able to listen and understand. And he will open their eyes so that they see the truth. And the beautiful, amazing result of that is verse 19. The meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. His people will turn from sin and rejoice in God. That's his work. And amazingly, this is so wonderful, he does that work in us. We are converted. We believers have been converted. We've been regenerated, given the life of Jesus Christ, had that implanted in us. Amazing. We have been given ears to hear and eyes to see. When we were deaf and blind by nature, we've been converted. We hate sin and follow God's way in thankfulness. We've been converted, and that's why we want to be here today, worshiping. And that's why we want to put away sin and serve the Lord in gratitude. That's the powerful work of God, the one we read about in this chapter. And God does that work of conversion in us based entirely on the work of Jesus Christ at the cross. And that is why we talk about the cross so much. That's why we're so amazed at it. God does this work in us based on Christ's work at Calvary. Without Jesus' work at Calvary, we would be guilty sinners before God. And guilty sinners must be in the prison to sin and death, just like a guilty man today goes to prison. Guilty sinners must be in the prison to sin and death. They cannot have their ears open and their, their blind eyes opened. They cannot be converted. They cannot have God working in them. But Jesus went to the cross and he took away our sins. Our guilt is gone from God's sight. So Jesus, by his work at Calvary, gained for us the right to be taken out of that prison to sin and death and have God working conversion in us so that we hate sin and delight in righteousness. It goes back to the cross. Praise God for sending the Savior. So we are converted, as question 114 says, but we still do not obey God perfectly. Question 114 says, can those who are converted to God perfectly keep these commandments? And the answer says, no! Now, of course, the unconverted cannot keep God's commandments but the catechism is saying that even we who are converted turn from sin and to God, we cannot perfectly keep God's commandments. We do not hate sin and delight in righteousness all the time as God demands. Even when God's people do obey with delight, their best works are stained with sin. And we know what that's like. When we, we think about our lives, we know what this answer is talking about. Yes, I'm converted, but I have a sinful nature. And having that sinful nature, I so often do love sin and seek it. All I need to do is think of my own desires from this past week to see that's true. I do not keep God's command here. Perfectly as he demands. 
in this past week, I have sought after sin. That's why the Catechism says we have only a small beginning of obedience. God demands perfect obedience all the time. He demands we delight to obey and obey all the time, but we only have a small beginning of that obedience. It's not complete, it's not perfect. But that beginning is a pervasive beginning. There's a beginning and it is pervasive. Question answer 114 says, the holiest of men have only a small beginning of this obedience, yet so that with a sincere resolution, they begin to live not only according to some, but all the commandments of God. So by the Spirit's power, we do delight in righteousness and live according to all of God's commandments. We converted children of God even to see, even seek to keep those commandments which our sinful nature especially fights against. So the child of God who's especially bent towards coveting, he sees his, his sin and he seeks to live in contentment and gratitude for Christ. And the one whose sinful nature enjoys getting attention by disobedience to his teachers, he seeks to do better and to obey and honor his teacher, and does so by the power of God. And the one whose sinful nature is especially bent towards looking at, at things they should not online, scantily clad women, pornography, that one even, that one even seeks to live in purity, and does so by the power of God. It's important that we see we do begin to keep all of God's commandments by the Spirit's power. It's, it's important because our condition as believers can sometimes be misunderstood. We hear about God's command, God's command to hate sin all the time and delight in righteousness all the time. And we, we see clearly our failures this morning. And that's necessary. We need to see that. However, the believer can think this way can start to think, I never obey God. I never do good works. In fact, I am wholly incapable of doing any good and inclined to all wickedness. Understand what the scriptures teach and what the catechism teaches about that. Isaiah 29 verse 18 speaks of God opening the ears and eyes of his blind and deaf people. Then verse 19, God says, The meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Well, that's God's word. And then the catechism says that we are able to begin to live not only according to some, but all the commandments of God. So understand this truth clearly. It is true that we are wholly incapable of doing any good and inclined to all wickedness according to our sinful nature. But we believers, we've been regenerated, we've been converted, and by the Spirit's power we do rejoice in God and in obedience to Him. We, I still have a sinful nature, so do you, and we will until we die. But we also have the new man, and having that new man in us, we do seek Seek to serve our God. 
seek to live for his glory by his powerful work. It's so important that we see that we begin to live according to all the commandments of God because it gives us another reason to exalt God. We don't look at this truth that we begin living according to God's commandments so that we might say this morning, well, I'm pretty good. I'm doing well. I'm great. We look at it so that we might say this morning, God is great. And He is so great. As God says in Isaiah 29, verse 23, His people, it says, His people are the work of mine hands. This is all of me. Jesus Christ has done the work of salvation for us at the cross, delivering us from the guilt of sin so that we have the right to be taken out of the prison to sin and death. He's paid for sin. And now Jesus Christ, he actually does come and rescue us, taking us out of that prison to sin and death by regenerating us and converting us so that we do now delight in obedience to God's commandments when we otherwise never would. Praise God. We are the work of His hands. Last, this morning, see that Christ uses the strict preaching of the commandments for our good. Christ strictly preaches the Ten Commandments through the minister of the gospel. We have his Ten Commandments strictly preached here in this church, and we must. Question 115 says, Why will God then have the Ten Commandments so strictly preached, since no man in this life can keep them? That the Ten Commandments are preached means that they're explained, and you've had them explained in past weeks. We're up to commandment number 10. You've had the commandments preached to you, explained and shown to you that you must obey them. That's the idea of strictly preached. You're shown through the preaching of the commandments that the commandments aren't just suggestions. They must be obeyed. And those who do not obey them, even fail one time, they make themselves deserving of hellfire and God's wrath. So the commandments are strictly preached by Christ, and that happens through the minister of the word. In the Old Testament, the commandments were strictly preached through Isaiah, a prophet. Verse 13 says that God spoke through him. Isaiah says, the Lord says this. And what did Christ say through Isaiah? Stop delighting in sin. Delight and said, rejoice in the Lord and in obedience to Him. And God says the same thing to us today through the preacher of the Word. Christ does a couple things, a couple wonderful things through the strict preaching of commandments. First, Through the strict preaching of commands, Christ brings us, this is wonderful, He brings us to see our sin and seek Christ's righteousness. He brings us to see our sin and seek Christ's righteousness. 
Answer, question answer 115 says, Why will God then have the Ten Commandments so strictly preached, since no man in this life can keep them? Then first it says that all our lifetime we may learn more and more to know our sinful nature, and thus become the more earnest in seeking the remission of sin and righteousness in Christ. In Isaiah 29, verse 18, God promises to use the strict preaching of commands to bring his people to see their sin and look to Christ. I'll read that a moment so you see it's biblical. Verse 18, we read there, And in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. Now notice, he says at the beginning of the verse, they shall hear the words of the book. The book refers to what Isaiah is writing right here. But also really to all of Scripture, since the Scriptures are one. Through the word, God's elect, this verse is saying God's elect would be brought to sorrow over their sins and look to Christ. Verse 19 the verse right after talking about hearing the words of the book, verse 19 says, the deaf and blind will become meek and poor. That they'll become meek and poor means that they will be lowly and humble, seeing their sins and looking to the promised Messiah. That's the effect of this word and that's the effect of the preaching of commands by Christ today too. He's brought you through the, the series on the commands. He's brought you to see your sin, to sorrow over them, to see you have no hope in yourself that's even been brought to you today. You see it so clearly. Don't meet God's standard. It leads you to see Christ's righteousness then. We see him as the one him as the one who perfectly delighted in God's will all the way to the cross and paid for sin there. We lean on him entirely. Christ works in us to do so through the preached word. Praise God for that. And second, through the preaching of commands, Christ also leads us to keep his commandments and love for him more and more. Answer 115 says, Likewise, that we constantly endeavor and pray to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, that we may become more and more conformable to the image of God till we arrive at the perfection proposed to us in a life to come. So seeing our sins through the preaching of commands, the Spirit works in us to endeavor to become more and more conformed to God's image. This means that he works in us to strive to live more and more in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. The three elements of the image of God. He works in us to strive to grow in those elements. Spirit, for instance, brings us through the preaching of the word today to see our covetousness. To see our need to instead be content and to strive to be content in thankfulness for Christ. The Spirit brings us to see that we so often don't delight in obedience to God and hate all sin and to strive to do better now in thankfulness for Jesus Christ. He works in us to see our failures even through the strict preaching of commands and then to go home and pray 
and pray, God, strengthen me to obey from the heart and to glorify thee. And as we pray for that strength, God is, is pleased to strengthen us more and more. So thanks be to God for the preaching. And you think about how powerfully God uses the preaching. Without God's work in us, I and you would wander off God's path today. We'd continue in a path of unrepentance to our death. We'd go on a path to hell, to destruction. But God in his grace, he uses the preaching to strengthen us to serve him from the heart. Truly give thanks to him for that today. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father which art in heaven, Lord, we are amazed at thy goodness, amazed at thy grace, amazed at thy power, that thou dost use the preaching in this way to strengthen us to obey thee from the heart. Lord, truly bless us through the word we've heard. We know that it is brought in weakness, yet, Lord, thou art strong, thou art almighty. Make this to serve to our good for our benefit, for Jesus' sake. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing Psalter number 322.